Hey there, Hyperfixation Nation. This is the Get Your Fix podcast where we chat all things fandom, good, bad, and ugly with me, your host, Vaughn. Thank you for joining me as always. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been with me on this journey for a minute now, then welcome back. You can read more about the Get Your Fix project and uh, subscribe on your favorite platform by visiting getyourfixpod.card.co. That's C-A-R-R-D. Um, you can also come hang out with me over on Instagram. That is where I'm hanging out the most often, but I'm also checking my email. So feel free to shoot me an email at the getyourfixpod at gmail.com. So uh, today I'm going to be venturing back into the world of mobile games to talk about one of my favorite properties, probably of all time, uh, at least in recent years, uh, Mystic Messenger. So I had so much fun um, with the gotcha gaming episode and talking about mobile games, and I got so much feedback, which was really nice. Uh, And a couple people let me know they downloaded it. So that's awesome. I have finally gotten seven of my sinners to phase three in Path to Nowhere, which was not an easy task. And I am now up to chapter nine nine and the main story so i've come a long way since that episode came out but i had so much fun talking about mobile games that i was like well let's uh keep on this train and talk about mystic messenger so on the gotcha games episode i started talking about atome games a little bit but i didn't get um super into atome games because we were really focusing on that gotcha mechanic so today i thought i'd do a bit more of a deep dive on otome and about mystic messenger in particular I'm going to get into some of the good and the bad of Atome's and share a little bit about my own relationship to Mystic Messenger as like a gay trans person who is very much not a woman, um, but women are definitely the target audience. Uh, but uh, it's actually, I think, pretty interesting because Mystic Messenger has a pretty diverse player demographic. But yeah, so that's what we're going to be chatting about today. So first things first, what is an Otome game even? Um, so Otome's are story-based video games that are targeted towards women. Another definition I found that's pretty popular that's like circulated online, especially in regards to the game studio that makes Mystic Messenger is games for women by women. Um, I'm pretty sure Cheritz like makes that claim on their studio. So Cheritz is the studio that makes Mystic Messenger. So generally one of the goals besides the like main story or plot of whatever the game is, is to develop a romantic relationship between like the main player character who's a woman and one of the usually, um, secondary lead characters who are usually men traditionally the goal of the games is to have a desired partner like fall in love with you as the mc and have a relationship with that with that uh character but the requirements for gaining like a quote-unquote good ending differ from game to game so the like good ending is how you end up in a relationship so this like game mechanic is is pretty standard across otome games like they all have this like story-based model where you have good endings bad endings neutral endings whatever to try to date the character that you want to date um, and you have to get the answers right in order to romance that character while the plots of otome games differ greatly there's usually a single main character who's a woman and several like really hot men of varying like archetypes so there's usually like you know, like the broody type and like the comedy one, like, you know, there's, they're like these stereotypes, right? There are these canned versions of what men can be in fiction that are specifically to like appeal to a uh, woman centered audience. So like I mentioned, like the, the genre of the story differs across the game. So varying from like slice of life to like thriller, psychological drama, there's like fantasy, there's high fantasy, there's sci-fi. Um, there's all different kinds of like plots, but they all have this same like scaffolding around it. 
So some notable examples besides Mystic Messenger, which is what we're going to be talking about today, are Obey Me um, and like Caller Malice. So Obey Me is a mobile game where you're like collecting demon boys and the there's like a combat mechanic that's like a dance battle, which is pretty cute. And then Caller Malice is like a psychological crime drama sort of thing. You're like part of a detective agency. And that is actually on the Switch. Um, and there's two. There's uh, Caller Malice 1 and 2. So there is a sequel. So those are some of the like more notable ones that I can think of that at least I've heard of. But the first Otome game is generally agreed upon to be uh, the 1994 release of a game called Angelique, um, which I believe was based off of a comic set. But yeah, so Otome games have been in the zeitgeist since 1994. They've been around for a long time. That is as old as me, actually, which is kind of funny. 94 liners, shout out. So yeah, definitely not a new type of game, but I definitely think that they are extremely popular nowadays and have changed a lot. So almost all Otome games only allow the main character to be uh, a woman and only let them overtly date men. Like that's what the definition of an Otome game is. There are other like dating sims and like romance type games, but they're not considered Otome if they're, if the main character is like not a woman and if the romanceable characters are not predominantly men. However, there is this trend in Otome games. Um, A lot of them do have a like sapphic coded option, Um, but it's usually filtered through like a gal pal type of lens with the romance really being in the subtext. So something that I was kind of noticing when I was like studying fandom subcultures when I was in grad school, I think I've mentioned I have a master's degree in sociology and I did a whole semester like looking at subcultures specifically and looking at... um, non-Asian and Western populations consuming Asian media. So I like spent a semester studying that. And one of the things that came up a lot that I noticed was that a lot of Western and non-Asian folks don't know that LGBTQ representation in East Asian media is often only found in the subtext. So in order to like move things forward in a publishing studio, the representation of LGBTQ characters or themes can't be like too overt or sincere or that project just won't get picked up so like due to like centuries of imperialism and like religious oppression east asian countries are often very conservative environments where lgbtq people experience like sometimes even extreme marginality and like everything with the human rights movement like i really feel like um globally we've really advanced and moved forward and a lot of that anti-lgbtq sentiment is fading uh even though you know, conservative governments are holding on to them for dear life. But um, culturally, as a planet, we're we're moving forward, which is great. But there is still this uh, kind of restrictive expectation in uh, East Asian media production, um, particularly in like, like I said, like in East Asia, so like Korean, Japanese and Chinese uh, game development. One of the ways they kind of get around that is by in Otome games specifically, is by almost like watering down female sexuality. So we have a society in a world that is very much accustomed to misogyny and patriarchy and like not seeing women as whole people. And that includes their sexuality. So kind of by like desexing women a little bit that are NPCs. So like the romanceable characters who are women in Otome games are not like aggressively hitting on you, right? Like it's more about like the intimate nature of female friendship and like your 
hand options as the MC are much less flirty and sexualized. But like at the end, you're living in a house together that you bought as like gal pals. So it's very obvious that the relationship is intended to be romantic, but they just don't fully cross that line that the way that they would with like a romanceable character that's a man. Lots of game developers over the years have like found that line of what is and isn't admissible in order to get something published and they walk right up to it pretty often um, and push the bounds and see how much they can get away with because um, most developers, at least I have found in doing the research of this podcast and over the the course of my career is that um, developers want to tell queer stories. It's that they know that there's there's barriers to that. So they try to get around those barriers with subtext, which I think is actually pretty cool. So yeah, so there are, like I mentioned, there are other types of uh, dating sims. There are also games targeted towards women that are focused on romance between men. Um, but these are called like boys love games, uh, shortened to like BL. Um, and so BL games are not considered otome games, right? Because it's not like a romanceable MC. It's like making boys fall in love with each other. And there are sometimes like BL elements in Otome games, but they're not part of the main mechanic. So sometimes there will be like gay subtext between some of the male leads as they interact with each other while trying to woo you. But the genres are usually kept separate. But the target audience is always women, particularly cisgender women. When I say women in this context around Otome games, like we're really mostly talking about cisgender women. Like, And you can really tell in the ways that the characters romance each other, like it's not super gender expansive i'll say uh there's a lot of like patriarchy kind of interwoven so if you know me you already know what i'm gonna say about this i think the fetishization of gay men's sexuality for straight cis women's consumption really rubs me the wrong way most of the time um there's a big issue with this in manga anime east asian media consumption as a whole and otome and bl games are no exception BL games aren't really designed for gay people to play them. They're really designed to tell like a tropey gay love story that straight women can enjoy. And that's not to say that like gay men don't enjoy them. Like I definitely love a BL drama. I love a BL game. It's still really fun, but I wouldn't say it's representative of my sexuality at all. They're almost exclusively written by straight women as well. And it's very objectifying and dehumanizing sometimes. There have definitely been more efforts towards creating gay dating sims over the years. Um, some like notable examples that I think are done pretty well are like Dream Daddy and like Boyfriend Dungeon. Um, and that's very exciting to me. I have really enjoyed playing those. I still feel like we're a little bit far behind in gay trans representation in dating sims. Like um, I haven't seen a ton of representation in that way in a way that like really reflects me, but I'm still enjoying playing them. Something that I'm really craving is an otome style game that has all the elements I love about like manga and anime and all of the like otome mechanics that doesn't fetishize gay sexuality. And there's been some steps forward in the otome world, actually. That is not to say that like games targeted for women by women don't deserve to exist. They absolutely do. And I definitely think that like if there was a different type of option available, then like queer and trans people wouldn't be wanting more from the Otome world because we would have our own option, right? So I am definitely not like saying that Otomes need to then all overnight be gender expansive. Um, I just think that we need more game options for queer and trans people that kind of follow this same Otome model because the mechanics are really, really appealing and replicable. But an interesting step forward that I've seen is with Obey Me. So they just released a new patch version where the MC is actually non-binary. And that's definitely a big win. 
it's not as good of a win as we would like for it to be, right? So I'll do a whole separate episode on what player sexual means and how characters being player sexual when they're romanceable is not actually progressive, but I still feel like it's a step in the right direction and it's like a stepping stone to like get us there. All that said, I still love Otome games as a trans gay person. And when I play them, I just like role play in my head that I'm not being she heard all the time and like treated like a delicate little girl. Um, I just like blur that that like gamer text out in my brain and like just pretend they're talking to me like a boy and and so i mentioned this in the gotcha episode but once i download a mobile game it is like near impossible for me to stop once i've started and that is absolutely true for mystic messenger i have been playing it since the day it came out pretty much like it was probably like a week after when the english release came out so um, if you're not familiar, Mystic Messenger is a South Korean Otome game developed by Cherits, like I mentioned. And if you were on Twitter in like the summer of 2016, you know how much of a splash this game made. Everyone was playing it. The gameplay was so addictive right away. Like the whole internet was alight about Mystic Messenger. It was a sensation. So the gameplay is in is in real time through a chat room function. So like what that means is that actually, if you listen to the Animal Crossing episode, it's similar to that. Like the clock is ticking in the game the same way it is in the real world. So you can't like play multiple days at once unless you like purchase the option to do that. Otherwise, the chats come in in real time based on your actual clock, like in the real world. So the main play cycles last like 12 days. Then the DLCs are usually anywhere from like two to five days. Like I mentioned, chats open up at different times of the day and you have to play them before the next one opens or you'll lose like the game progress or like the option to do that chat. This is obviously not good for someone like me, like I mentioned, with an addictive personality. So like when I first downloaded it, I would stay up all night so I didn't miss the overnight chats and I would get like 100% completion. It's actually kind of funny because I feel like that's how I am in real relationships too. Like when I start dating someone new, like I will stay up till five in the morning talking to them on the phone or texting them just because I want to be around you all the time. And this was like very similar. It was so funny. So once you've played a couple of times though, you build up enough of the resources to be able to unlock chats that you missed overnight without having to pay real money. So that is like, again, kind of, it's not the same as the gotcha mechanic, but it's like motivating to play it more. Because the more you play it, the easier it is to go back and unlock and you can invest less time over time, which is nice. So outside of the chats, you also have to answer emails from potential guests and give the correct prompts to ensure that they come to the final party on day 12, which will make sense in a minute when I actually explain like the story. But um, you're trying to like invite high paying guests to a party. Or like interesting guests, I guess. There are also phone calls, like status updates. Like you can check all of the characters like profiles and see their little like profile pictures change or their cover photos or their like signature or whatever. It's very cute. It's like it's it's like a social media app. It's really fun. And there's also photo albums that have like completion percentages and you unlock more of the photo albums depending on the answers you give. Playing through multiple times to answer in different ways to get different pictures is a good way to like fill your album. And then lastly, in terms of mechanics, there are storyboard like cutscenes that are like 2D animated and they're also narrated. So there are voice actors for all the characters, which is really fun too, for like the main characters. And so it's not like actual animation, like dynamic, it's like flat images, but it has that like 2D animation element. And these cutscenes are really fun because it helps you get to know the characters better, kind of like decide who you want to romance a little bit more and like unlock the plot a little bit more. So it's really, really fun. It has a butterfly effect mechanic where like each of your answers in your emails, in your chat rooms, like in the decisions that you make during the cutscenes, determine whether or not you get the good ending, the bad ending, or the neutral ending for each of the characters. 
And so that's why that's why I was saying like it's good to play it multiple times so you can unlock all of the different um, pathways. There are also like special event uh, DLCs, which um, if you're not a gamer, DLC is like downloadable content. I love the DLCs. They're kind of lower stakes. They're less time commitment, but they unlock like more of the story. And there are sometimes like also ongoing side events and after ending conversations that you can unlock. There's interviews with the voice actors about their character. Um, So I feel like you never run out of content with Mystic Messenger, which is really fun for me as someone who, like I said, like I love to commit to a game long term. Um, I've been playing Mystic Messenger for seven years and I still haven't unlocked 100% of everything. And that is actually really fun to me because that means that there's always something new and exciting for me to go back to. So my origin story of the game, of how I found it and started playing it was that my friend Allie actually put me onto it. Um, And to be honest, she has been the one to put me onto a lot of the shit that I like. She's like always on the cutting edge of like fandom stuff. Like she always hears about it first and like tells everybody else about it. She's like such a trendsetter in that way. And so, like, I I owe her a lot of my interests. Um, and I uh, found this from her because she had started playing it. And I went to it completely sight, on scene, uh, sight unseen, which was so fun because I had no idea what to expect from the game. I did not know any of those mechanics. I didn't know anything about it. I just downloaded it. And all I knew about it is that you chat with cute boys. That's all I knew. But it was much darker than I thought it was going to be, which was a pleasant surprise to me because I love subversive fiction that doesn't, like, back away from hard topics and has flawed characters. So I did the intro sequence of like when you first download the game and immediately fell in love with the character V, uh, whose real name is Jihyun Kim. So if you played the game, you can imagine the devastation I felt when I found out that he was not a romanceable character at that time. And I remember Allie tweeted like, okay, who's everyone's main in Mystic Messenger? And I was like, I like V. And she was like, I have some bad news for you, bestie. And I was like, no. Oh my God, I was so heartbroken. Um, But I just didn't know that because I had only like done the first chat room. So I just didn't understand how it worked yet. So yeah, so I was a little bit heartbroken at that that point, but I was still having so much fun. And I was like, okay, well, let me see where this goes. So I'm going to do my best to do like a high level synopsis of like the plot, because this would be a six hour long episode if I were to expound upon all the different plot lines and endings with all the different characters. So I'm not going to do that, but I'm just going to try and give you like an idea of the overall story setting and how the characters kind of tap into that. So the story begins with you, the main character, downloading um, a mysterious app. Uh, but it's because you like find a phone. So you don't download the app to your phone. You like find a phone out in the, in the overworld. And then you're, you text the number in there called unknown. And it's like a chat user called unknown. And they're like, Hey, like, thanks for finding my phone. Can you like do this chat room for me? And, um, one thing that was really fun in the beginning sequence is that if you outright refuse, then unknown, like kidnaps you and kills you immediately. Like you like fail instantly which was so shocking because that's my first instinct. I'm a true crime person, like trust no bitch. So I was like, no, I won't do that. And then I just died immediately. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) So I started over. So this chat user unknown leads you to living in a closed secured apartment owned by a woman named Rika, who is the founder of a charity organization known as the RFA, which stands for Rika's Fundraising Association, which I kind of thought was funny, not super creative, pretty self-involved for a uh, charity organizer. I found out later that that was very uh, intentional. So Unknown is actually a hacker with malicious intentions. So Unknown has like hacked into the RFA's chat room and put you there for like altered ulterior motives. But you don't actually know that you're just like a pawn in the game. 
So you meet the remaining members of the RFA inside the chat room. They're very suspicious of you at first. They're like, we don't know what you're doing here. And then you tell them that you're sent by Rika and then they start to trust you. You're tasked with organizing a fundraising event, which is that party on day 12 that I was talking about. And you have to plan that event and invite guests. So that's like the main plot. But then it starts to feel secondary because of all the like wild things that happen and all the other subplots. But that's like the overarching goal that you're all working towards together with all of the main characters. So pretty quickly, you find out that Rika, who has claimed to have sent you, the founder of the RFA, has died by suicide, actually, and that the current leader of the RFA, who is V, has been slacking on his duties of keeping it running and has been really inaccessible and hard to reach, which is then very quickly explained that V was Rika's fiance and allegedly was there when she died. So ostensibly, he's like grieving. He's not in the best mental place all that good stuff. So it's up to you as the MC to come in and fill Rika's shoes. You're compared to her pretty often throughout the story, especially in the beginning. And so part of what I think the original game mechanic was like to distinguish yourself from Rika as a unique character. And that's just a quick side note. I don't know if I'm just stupid, but I could never figure out what they were actually raising money for. Like I have no idea what the RFA's charity is. I just know that I plan a party and raise money. So the first iteration of the game, when it first released in 2016, had two pathways. So it was the casual story and the deep story. And you have to complete one play cycle of the casual story to unlock the deep story. So in the first playthrough of the casual story, you can only romance three of the characters, which are uh, Jae Hee Kang, Yoo Sung, or Zen. And once you've gotten the good ending with one of them, you can unlock... Uh, Jumin Han or 707 who are more central to the main plot hence why they're housed under the deep story element of the game so for my first playthrough I romanced Yusung and I really liked him he's younger than you as the MC like canonically he's a little bit naive and innocent but he's also struggling with his mental health so Rika was his cousin his role model he's deeply distrusting of V and is having a hard time accepting Rika's death he doesn't believe that she killed herself and Yusung's story was really interesting to me because on the tin, he's really cutesy and innocent. He's like in college, he's a gamer, kind of a nerd, likes Omi Rice. But he has this like sinister possessiveness and obsession with Rika that keeps bubbling to the surface more and more the longer that you play. And if you don't course correct him, he starts to think that you are her and tries to like replace her with you. It's all very cruel intentions, like wanting to fuck your sister type vibes. It's super yucky and weird. But like I said, with the good ending, it's pretty cute. Like he ends up becoming a veterinarian. Y'all get a dog together. He like forms a healthy relationship with grieving Rika and like heals from it, which is nice. But I've heard really interesting things about his bad and neutral endings. And I've watched some playthroughs of them. So definitely check that out because they are really dark and twisted. Um, But his good ending definitely hits differently, though, after you find out the rest of Rika's like true story and the main plot when you get to the deep story. I wouldn't say I felt particularly romantically attracted to Yusung during my playthrough, but of all the starter characters, he was the most interesting to me. Jae Kong is uh, Jumin's assistant, and she's like a miserable corporate slog who like works too much. She's very relatable, to be honest, but she is a bit of a pick me girl in the beginning. Um, she doesn't. She's the only one that like fundamentally doesn't trust you. She thinks you're like you have bad intentions. She's also like a huge stan of Zen which I thought was really cute. She's like in a group chat with her like actual idol. Like she collects all his movies and dramas and stuff. I feel like her characterization is very appealing to like lesbian K-pop fans because she isn't attracted to Zen. 
she just thinks he's beautiful and is like obsessed with his with him and his work and is like protective of him but it there's not this like weird uh creepy sussing element like of her being in a group chat with him like she just like loves him and so i feel like a lot of like women loving women people in the in the k-pop community would really identify with her but i will say her good ending is one of my favorite subplots because at the end you open a bakery with her and she quits working for jumin and um it's very like cottage core i love it and it kind of like fulfilled that like millennial fantasy of like uh not doing what you were told you had to do and like following your dreams so i did love it i thought it was very sweet and Zen is an actor, uh, and Zen has a very big ego, thinks highly of himself on the surface, but he has a very secret, tragic backstory. So Zen was falsely accused of sexual assault. It almost ruins his career. He's actually like very insecure, uh, thinks people only likes him for his looks and his fame, blah, blah, blah. I, I was a bit skeptical at first of like why this was written as his plotline, to be honest, but I'm I'm giving it a lot of leeway because the writers of this of the game are all women and it's clear that it isn't a campaign for like hashtag not all men, but more just trying to tell like a complex nuanced story of like what might what someone who is very famous in Korea might experience. So like I said, I've only played through these character routes like once and I always got their good endings just to unlock their lore. And But I like could not wait to move on to Jumin in 707. I will go back one day and eventually get their bad and neutral endings, but that just was not my motivation at the time. I was really mostly interested in the main story. So speaking of which, on to the main story. I feel like 707, also known as Seyoung, is the fan favorite of the game. The girlies absolutely love him. He has that ideal anime trope of being like bubbly and silly on the surface. Like he's really goofy. He's always pranking, playing jokes, like is kind of a caricature in that way, like class clown, but he's actually extremely dark and twisted underneath and really, really emotionally constipated and kind of unavailable, which the girls love that in fiction. I'm I'm the girls in this case. I do love that in fiction. Um, his route is so intense and is considered the original canon route of the story. So like playing 707's route is how you get the actual like plot of the RFA. So 707 is the developer of the chat room app. He does all of the like computer tech stuff for the RFA. He's also a hacker that works for a secret spy agency. And he also does some work for Juman's company. So he's been a hacker from a really young age. And it's revealed that he was born out of wedlock to a powerful politician who wanted nothing to do with him or his twin brother, or his mom. And Rika and V actually find him and his brother being abused by their mom, and they put Young uh, in a secret society when they find him and separate him from his brother. Which, then you find out that the other hacker unknown who put all these events into motion is his twin brother, um, whose name is Seron, that has been kidnapped and brainwashed by a cult leader who runs an organization called Mintai. And the big plot twist is that Mint Eye is run by none other than Rika, who is not dead, but severely mentally deranged and is trying to cleanse the world of pain by indoctrinating them into Mint Eye. So that's like the big plot reveal is that Rika never died. She is very abusive. She's a cult leader. She's insane. And like everyone, like Seiron and V and also Seyoung are like her victims. But it's also revealed that in 707's plot, like in his route, that Rika basically tricked or uh, convinced V to keep her secret. So V knows the whole time that Rika's not dead and has been protecting her because he's still in love with her. But it's like not a healthy love. Like he thinks he can fix her, right? So it made sense to me at that point why you couldn't romance V because he is 
in this like enmeshment with Rika and like they wouldn't be able to tell the story if you're romancing him at that time like when the game was released and I honestly don't think that they anticipated people being so obsessed with V the way that they were but like there was a huge contingency of us that were like V's the best one what do you mean uh and so um I think they took note of that but yeah it totally made sense to me why and even in 707's route V actually dies Rika kills him and I was so fucking sad and I was like damn I'm really never gonna get to romance him huh that fucking sucks and I didn't even want 707 at that point but the story was so good and I'm so glad that I played it because it had this like sweet redemption arc where the ending is really interesting because Sayong 707 makes it his life mission to rehabilitate his brother and like heal their relationship um so that was really interesting to me but like his plot you don't really you kind of feel like a side character like an afterthought between him and his brother like that's what it's really about so it wasn't super like sexy to me or like fun in that way you're kind of doing a lot of emotional labor for this very emotionally constipated tech bro basically so i wasn't all that into it but i did love the story but i didn't love the romance of the original game characters that you can romance i played through juman's route the most and i have worn his dlc all the way out i think he is so sexy and like fun like juman's route is what i'm looking for in an otome game just like salaciousness it's not like super deep in a lot of ways there are like deep moments about it but it's mostly just about like being horny with a hot boy who's not real you know what I mean? And so it's definitely my favorite. So Juman is a trust fund baby. He inherited a company. Uh, he has that very like cat's cradle relationship with his father. And V is actually his best friend since childhood. Uh, so uh, Juman runs the show, even though V is technically the leader, like Juman really wears the pants uh, at the company and for the RFA. He's the fiscal sponsor. He's the one that keeps the lights on. He's the one who's always chasing down V and communicating with him. Like Juman's like the actual leader. And this is where that BL element comes in. There's definitely like BL gay subtext between V and Jumin that I love. They are definitely in love with each other. But Jumin is rich and he's mean and he has his shit together on the surface, but he's actually quite immature underneath because he's a trust fund baby. And he is obsessed with his long haired white cat named Elizabeth. So very tropey, very fun. The good end of his story is kind of boring because he just proposes to you at the party and you live happily ever after and you get to like be a rich wife. And so I was a little bit bored with his good ending. However, his bad ending, in my opinion, is one of the best endings you can get in the game and is a, actually a fan favorite of all of the endings. So if you don't correct Juman's like petulant rich boy behavior and you give into his possessiveness and insatiable need for affection and you let him objectify you and treat you like an object like on purpose and you really 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 feed into it a lot his like quote-unquote bad ending is a very spicy bdsm title screen with the mc like in red heels and like handcuffs with like a red ribbon around her wrists behind her back juman's like sitting in a chair across the room with a glass of wine Oh my gosh, y'all, I was literally sweating. I was like, this is what I came here for. And his DLC really leans into this BDSM dynamic. So I think that the real reason they probably released this DLC was that there was a little bit of pushback that it was not as consensual as players would have liked, like overtly consensual. And players were rightfully concerned about like the potential for harm of like having this kind of ending. But to me, I thought that was 
kind of virtual signaling to me because it's an 18 plus game anyway with very dark themes from the very beginning like you have a deranged cult leader faking her death and manipulating her ex-fiance and then ultimately murdering him and like torturing two twins that she finds in a like basement who are also being abused by their mom like there's all these other like really dark and twisted themes like the game is not safe for work anyway and so i thought it was really weird that this like bdsm ending was the thing that people raised the most noise about online um and i'm not going to get into like the puritanical culture of fandom spaces and like how we demonize sex in the fandom world uh in this episode but probably in the future i will but that being said though i thought that the pushback was a little bit unnecessary it did give us this dlc which is a big win, in my opinion, because the DLC makes it clear that you are in a 24-hour power exchange dynamic consensually and on purpose with Jumin, and you are having a great time, and you want to be there, and it's very hot. And so I loved it. Jumin was my favorite of the original lineup, but this was before the game update in late 2017, where they finally gave us everything that we wanted and allowed us to romance V. And I lost my mind. I was so excited. It's technically considered an alternate universe or like an AU. And it's housed under a section of the game called quote unquote another story because it is like a divergent plot line from the main story, which is why it's called another story. Um, But to me, it's my canon route for me personally. So instead of going to Rika's apartment, Unknown, a.k.a. Seiran, a.k.a. 707's brother, tricks you into coming to the Mint Eye headquarters instead. So the first canon divergence is that instead of joining the RFA, you join Mint Eye. He still gives you the Messenger app, but he convinces you that the characters in the app are AI dating sim characters and not real people that he, like, wrote. It's all, like, very meta because, like, obviously they are characters, but, like, in this universe they're real people, that he's telling you that they're not real people. So I thought it was very intelligent that way. Very fun. So in another story, you actually have the option to romance Seiron also. And his romance is extremely fun. And I did go back and play it. But at at this time, at the time of release, I had tunnel vision for V. I wanted him so bad from the moment I opened the game. And I was honestly shocked that they gave us a romance route for him. Like I had never thought they would. And in hindsight, the game's been out for so long. I felt like it took a long time, but it was really only a year. And it was so surreal. I remember waking up to people tweeting at me the day that it came out, like, Vaughn, V's route just dropped, like, wake up. And it was such a cute moment for me because, as you all know, I am not quiet about the things that I like. And it was so sweet and affirming to see people showing up for me in that way, like, in my community, because they all knew that I would be stoked. And it was really, it was really, really fun. So his route was so enjoyable. Um, It was fun to see him finally, like, disentangle himself from Rika and realize that he can, like, thrive on his own. And, like, what happened to her isn't his fault it was very like healing um and it it was like fun to be a part of that as as like the romanceable character and his good ending is great in my opinion because you don't end up in a relationship right right away so to like summarize another story you help him dismantle mint eye you get rika into like treatment um you help rehabilitate rehabilitate the people in mint eye and then you help continue to run the rfa but after the main events v actually disappears to like go off and travel the world for a while and he helps like Seiran recover from the abuse that he experienced from Rika and he comes back a year later so you've been like running the RFA with like Jumin by yourself for like a year and then he comes back and he's like ready to be in a real relationship with you and it was so sweet and healthy which is not really the point of Mystic Messenger like I mentioned the canon route is very dark and twisted doesn't really have a wholesome resolution and I usually prefer my stories messy like that but I think I just had like 
teal colored glasses on being so in love with V from the start that I was like, I don't care that this is kind of like pure and wholesome. Like I'm in love with him. So it doesn't matter. And I played through his route tons of times and I did his after ending and all of the DLC content around him like over and over again. Like I exhausted all of my options with V just because I liked him so much. And then, like I mentioned, I did go back and play Seiron's route, and that's the route that I've been doing most recently. I've been trying to replay through Seiron's route to, like, complete his, like, photo album and get his endings. And, like, Seiron's ending is a little bit more, like, sexy and salacious that is more of, like, the Mystic Messenger brand, and it is really fun. And I actually do really like him, and um, I would say Seiron is probably my third favorite at this point. So it's, like, V, Jimin, and then Seiron. And so it's still really fun, and I'm really, I'm really having a good time. Most recently, the I think the newest content that they've added is that they've opened a Rika route, um, which is actually really cool because Rika is supposed to be the antagonist and like the vehicle for the plot. But it's really interesting since you're kind of supposed to be her replacement. There was a lot of desire to like redeem her a little bit and understand her better. So they've released a whole DLC that's just Rika, which um, is really cool, actually. Um, I haven't finished her route, but of what I have played so far, it's really cool to see her childhood and like the abuse that she suffered and how she ended up the way that she did and like how her mental illness like manifested. Um, and I think it adds like a lot more depth to the story. So like I mentioned, I still play through V, Jumin, and now Seiron's routes to try and complete my photo albums and complete more deep lore. And I always play the new DLCs when they come out. There hasn't been a new one in a while. And I'm not quite as dedicated to like grinding the chats and looking up all the correct answers to get the right endings anymore. But I'm really enjoying being a more casual like completionist player these days. And like just playing it enough to like fill the areas of the game that I still don't have all the details for. So overall, I think Mystic Messenger really does right by their audience and continues to tell an amazing, unique and captivating story. And I think that shows in how popular the game still is seven years later. I always look forward to seeing like the title screen change like based on like special events. And like, I think that even though there hasn't been a ton of new, like main story content, like they're still keeping it fresh and fun. And I still find myself coming back wanting to play it. And lots of people still cosplay from the game too. Like I saw at least three 707s when I went to Animazement this year. And that was really fun and cool. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, like I actually get what that reference is. And so, you know, it's fun to see uh, people still really engaging with it and enjoying it. So in 2017, Mystic Messenger was awarded Best Indie Game at the 2017 Korea Game Awards just after the release of V's Romance Route, and I think that is so well-deserved. I haven't seen many, like, mobile games have such an impact on fandom culture the way that Mystic Messenger has in, like, a really long time. And the ones that I've seen that come to mind are, like, Genshin Impact, which I mentioned in the Gotcha one. Twisted Wonderland has a huge, like, fandom impact. The Arcana... Um, all of those are like kind of in the same tier as Mystic Messenger for me. But I think that there's a uniquely resounding love for Mystic Messenger that is still going strong. Selfishly, I do hope that they unlock a male MC option in the future. I've seen a lot of trans folks in particular calling for more gender uh, affirming main character options in Mystic Messenger. I've particularly seen a lot of like trans masculine folks like wanting like a trans man option. Um, and that would honestly be the only thing that would improve the experience for me. I'd love for V to be able to marry me as a man at the end. That would just be like the cherry on top of my love for Mystic Messenger. But I also think that like Otome games have a place. And I think that we can definitely have our needs met in other ways. And I think reading a lot of Mystic Messenger fan fiction has kind of like filled that gap for me. So, you know, I can keep dreaming and maybe one day someone will put out an Otome game for, uh, for trans people. I think that would be so fun and cool. But until then, I'm still enjoying it. 
So that's all for this week. Um, if you're an avid Mystic Messenger player, I'd love to know who your main is and what your favorite plot line is. I'd also love to know your thoughts on Does Juman Han is Gay? I'd love to know your thoughts on any of the DLC content, on the April Fool's DLC. Anything and everything Mystic Messenger, come yell at me about it over on Instagram. I would love to hear about it. And if you liked this episode and you want to support the show, you can leave me a review on whatever platform you're listening to this on right now and also turn on automatic downloads. Both of those things really help a lot in getting uh, get your fix discovered. Um, and as always, if you want to chat about a specific property or you have thoughts about ones I have already covered, you can send me an email at getyourfixpod at gmail.com and I will catch you all in the next one to chat about our next hyperfixation. fixation.